flying saucers have invaded our planet. Washington, London, Paris, Moscow are key targets. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? Welcome to episode 33 of First Strike, the Invasion podcast. I'm Siskoid. I'm Bass. And today we're uh, covering, as we always do, one of the tie-ins uh, of the Invasion crossover from uh, DC Comics 1988, late 1988. We'll be uh, looking at Animal Man number 7, which does not feature the Invasion Aftermath banner, as it should. As it should. I, think it, I, don't, I don't know why. This is a great comic. I don't know why there's no banner on there. Might be a mistake. At first I thought, oh, well, isn't it just like the gene bomb explodes at the end and that's all it is? Uh, but no, no. I mean, no. The, the whole setting is completely yeah. you know, post-invasion. It, yeah. yeah. Almost destroyed uh, Miami. Yeah. And yeah, it's close to Cuba. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it makes sense. So um, I guess it's just a mistake. And uh, there's room on the cover for it. It's not like there's not... Yeah. Enough room on the cover. Just part. like the, the the mistake with Suicide Squad, which was very much, you know, very yes. involved with the invasion and didn't have a banner. Uh, sometimes, you know, somebody made a mistake. What are we going to do? We've talked about Animal Man before, of course. Yes. Yeah, number six was a first strike tie-in. Uh, but today, uh, so today we're not going to talk about Animal Man again in the yeah. second part. Instead... <laughs> you don't need to know that he's one of my favorites again. And I, we again. Don't have to. Uh, instead, we'll be looking at... What else DC Comics was publishing at the time? We've done a couple of these episodes where mm. we looked at uh, what heroes might have participated because usually they would be involved in, in tie-ins, whether that's Batman or Green Arrow or... Mm. But now we're just going to look at everything else that was published, whether it was within the DC Universe itself or not. Just to give you a more complete portrait of what was on the stands in those two months of tie-ins. Yeah, and it's a great way to kind of figure out the feeling at the time because i mean comics they kind of reflect what's going on and sometimes they're very actual and close to the news and, and what were like the that. trends in, yeah. in comics themselves so uh, I, I like doing these episodes yeah yeah so we're just going to run through like a yeah. dozen something comics probably but uh so stick around after uh this part which is Animal Man number seven our synopsis and uh commentary on it issues called the death of the red mask it is by writer Grant Morrison, of course, penciler Chas Truog, inker Doug Hazelwood, letterer John Costanza, colorist Tatiana Wood, assistant editor Art Young, and editor Karen Berger, the legendary Karen Berger. Uh, so um, I kind of missed my cue on that one. Well, there, there's no praise be her name, but there, there might be. So let's look at that cover first, because uh, the, the cover is by Brian Bolland, who did all the Animal Man covers for even past the Grant Morrison era. Of course, quality work. Yes, very it, much so. Yeah, it features this character called the Red Mask that we don't know. We're, we're supposed to think, who is we, this Golden Age yeah, character? Yeah, we don't know, but he seems familiar. For some odd reason, he seems familiar. But he is an older man. He's taken off his helmet. Uh, you know, he's balding. He Well, bald. He's bald. <laughs> he's more than balding. And, he looks uh, bored as hell. Yeah, he, you know, he's portly. And uh, in the background, Animal Man is fighting these doofy 1950s robots yeah very slinky like robots just big barrels red robots with lights on the top of their heads it's you know it's something out of you know an old doctor who yeah or uh, lost in space or oh yeah you know all these old sci-fis where they had people inside a robot costume with a you know, and the, arm, arms. the arms would be yeah, the tubing yeah exactly and you know they, they really look like these old weird they, they kind of seem like they're I don't know, dangerous, but they're kind of weirdly dangerous. You could just probably push them over and they just 
Well, as we'll see, that's pretty much their function in the story. Uh, But he's tangling with three of them, and then there's like a blue sky in the background. We're on top of a building. You know, that's all going to be revealed in the issue itself is what's happening here. I love how precise the facial expressions are. You really get a feeling of, you know, Animal Man's like, not really in distress, but he's he's full of energy, almost panicking, you know, he's fighting off. And he seems to be screaming at the villain who is sitting his back to him. Depressed. Yeah, really, he seems Bored. depressed. <laughs> it's an amusing cover. It looks yeah. like it's going to be, maybe this is a comedy. Yeah, well, it does, it does <laughs> seem like that. The color scheme is great also. I mean, you have like these bright yellows and, and reds uh, against the blue background. R- really pops. I, I probably would have picked up this issue just because of the cover. Honestly, it, it's a great cover. Let's get into it. Yeah. Here's a synopsis as as I, I've tried to write it because it's, uh, it's an odd story. Blood drops... On white enamel, it's blood coughed up in the bathroom sink by a portly, helmeted, retro supervillain called the Red Mask. He climbs the stairs to the roof of a building in war-torn Miami and prepares to jump off. But here comes Animal Man to talk him down that ledge. Earlier, Buddy Baker had been happy to call his family and tell them the invasion was over. Nevertheless, surprised to find his son at home. No school during epic crossover events. Buddy had stopped in Miami, which had been hit by a Kund attack earlier, and was now dealing with an army of silly, malfunctioning red robots out of a 1950s B-movie. Trying to spot the source of these menaces, Buddy had come upon the Red Mask about to commit suicide. He tries to talk him out of it, and the Red Mask tells his story. (laughs) In 1945, a meteor fell from the sky, which gave him a death touch. His dog was the first to go. If he'd gotten the power of flight or something, he'd have joined the JSA. But a death touch? All he could do was become a supervillain, especially after his wife left him. His obscure career had him pair up with an equally unknown villain called The Veil, who eventually went mad and faded out of existence. And uh, he crossed swords with the little-remembered Captain Triumph. At some point, he won the robots off uh, Dr. Fang in a poker game. Now he's decided it's all over, and he's going to end his pity party with a leap off a tall building. But he tells him he could trade his story for media success and takes off to get a hold of his agent to make it happen. Still hawking up a lung, the Red Mask jumps off the building, feeling for a minute like he can fly. Later, his death weighs heavily on Animal Man as he helps clear the city of the Red Robots. Then he heads for Los Angeles, but before he can clear Miami's skyline, the gene bomb explodes. And it's a dramatic yeah, you know, very flash, dramatic. Flash page. Kind of looks like it hit him. You know, I, like all the others, they just see it and yeah, everything like, goes yeah. negative. But here, it looks like it looks like Buddy's falling. Actually, yeah. Maybe the difference is that he's using his powers, mm. and the gene bomb affects powers, as we'll see. As yeah. we'll see, and he'll be dealing with after effects of the gene bomb in a number of issues after this. Yeah, he's one of those heroes who uh, who really has like a side effects from the gene bomb. Yeah. And the the powers stay the same, but kind of shift. Yeah, they become unreliable yeah. for a few comics, uh, just as he recovers from the effects. Yeah, so really, he's in flight and probably you know falls from the sky at that point. We'll yeah. see in Invasion number three. Exactly. Uh, when the all you know the gene bomb plot is fully revealed. At this point, we know, but yeah, you know, as comics readers at the time, we wouldn't have. <laughs> exactly. It's just like what. So yeah, so what do we think of this uh, this story, Bass? Well, first of all, this story, I read it before I read Invasion, so I had no idea what this story was. I didn't know really what the invasion was. I just, I figured it was this thing going on within the comics, because I was reading Grant Morrison's run 
uh, in trade paperback. This right. was a couple of years back, and but some years after it was published. So I was now discovering Animal Man, loving him. And there's this story that's just in the middle of... Well, actually, these two... Actually, three. You were saying three, but... Yeah, there's two that are invasion-related. Yeah. Because the, the first invasion one with uh, the Hawkmen, the Tanagarians, it's very much a not-buddy story. I mean, Buddy's the hero, but he's not centric to the story. And it's the same thing here. I mean, Buddy's not the, the center, uh, the focus of this story. It's all about uh, Red Mask and these old-timey superheroes. Probably a foreshadowing of, you know, how some superheroes and villains are going to just be dead or be destroyed with this gene bomb and things are going to change. That's interesting. Uh, probably a comment because this is after Crisis, right? Yeah, a couple so, of years. Three uh, years. Yeah, and, and we seem to, well, I seem to, to feel like Morrison has some issues with Crisis on Infinite Earths. I don't think he liked it or he doesn't like the idea of just having this one Earth because he, he brings back the multiverse many a time. He redoes Crisis at the end yeah. of the Animal Man run. There's a Crisis 2. Exactly. So that, you know... Yeah, exactly. All the, the other... Psycho Pirate and the... Yeah. yeah. And, and in here, I mean, just mentioning the Justice Society, which is normally some from Earth 2, and and he kind of brings And back... Captain Triumph, who and is he... from... Would have been from Earth... Earth X? Or no... Uh... Yeah, I guess X. That was I think... the... Was it? It was a quality comic, yeah. It was... He, he started in the crack comics, so that's so, quality. You know, he, he, he always brings back this nostalgia for the, the multiverse, and, mm-hmm. and he, he does it... Once again, with this one-off evil character. And I don't like throwaway villains. I like this one. (laughs) Well, he has this fantastic backstory, and you can't really explain why he has these powers. And that's one of the nice things I liked about the old-timey comics, you know, the the Golden Agents. A meteor falls from the skies, somebody touches it, and all of a sudden... We don't explain it. But I like that Animal Man, it contrasts his own origin. It's like, yeah. well, that probably happened to you. And then Animal Man says, yeah, sp- uh, alien spaceship blew up in my face. Yeah. And and, and I have animal powers. And it just says random. It's random. So, you don't have to explain it really because it's, I mean, it's a comic book. Do we really have to have a, a scientific explanation for why animal powers exist within Vixen or Animal Man? We don't. We eventually get those explanations, of course. We do. But we do, because, you know, we, we want explanations, but honestly... But we, we just, don't need them. We don't need them. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, this is part of a, like you said, really three strange issues. Because yeah. the way the Animal Man series was set up, the first four issues, it was supposed to be a miniseries. So it, there's like four issues. It's a complete story with the San Diego Zoo and all that. Uh, what a Beast or Freedom yeah. Beast. And then, you know, Karen Berger goes, this is an insanely good comic. It was. Keep on going on. Uh, you know? Yeah. And you want the Doom Patrol gig? <laughs> <laughs> and so he's got to, Morrison has to find other stories to tell. And the first three stories are all one-offs. There's the Coyote Gospel, which blows yeah. everything uh, and says this is going to be a very... Metatextual comic, An insanely good story, but Animal Man is secondary to it. It's the yeah. story of the of a wily e. coyote yeah. type character from another world, from yeah. a cartoon this world. Demon wolf that terrorizes everything, but gets uh, yeah. Every time he gets killed, he gets resurrected because it's a cartoon. It's a cartoon trope. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Animal Man is barely an observer in this because by the end we're told the story. Of the Wiley Coyote character, but Animal Man can't understand it. It's like yeah. we, the readers, can see it, understand it, yeah. but he, they're not speaking the same language. So for him, it's like he's 
he's an observer but doesn't know what he's observed. And then in the second issue after that, or the, yeah. you know, the next issue after that is an invasion that we've already yeah. talked about where he's privy to, you know, he touches that Athenagarian bomb and we get the whole life story of Athenagarian war artist who will never be seen again. And again, in the Coyote Gospel, Animal Man can't save the coyote. He's... He wants to help, but he can't. Yeah. And the coyote finally dies. And then in Invasion First Strike... Animal Man is, again, ineffectual. He's not the one that stops the bomb. Not he freaks even out. Hawkman yeah. shows up. Presses, presses one, the button. One button. And in this one, we're after, and he's sort of on a high. Yeah. You know, he comes, we we beat the invasion off, and his, his son, Cliff, is going, I didn't see you on TV. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I was too busy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I gotta, I gotta let you go, Dad. Metallica's on yeah. MTV, so. Yeah, that's me. it. Yeah. So there's a video on. I'm gonna watch one. Uh, <laughs> it's probably the song. It's probably yeah, the one right is song. on TV. You know, it's a big long video. <laughs> it's a great song. Yeah, <laughs> and it's long. So mm-hmm. you know, I got to get off now. The you know the <laughs> the guy without a face is doing the Morse code. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that was freaky. Yeah, I mean, that's it's from an actual movie, but um, I know it was uh, it was freaky. That's a great video, man. That was yeah. that was awesome. So he's telling Cliff, we just beat off the invasion. He's super, bo- you know, he's stoked. Yeah. He's going to trade this for a briefly held spot in the Justice League. I know. So, I mean, you know, it, this it's is a big, promotion. It's a big deal for him. Yeah. Uh, even though Cliff doesn't, you know, doesn't give a crap. I don't think the West Coast got much action, <laughs> even though, you know, they, they were all sent home from school. Yeah. If that's what's happening. Well, you know. If was, Cliff isn't, was, you know, playing was, hooky. but There was stuff in the Pacific, you know. It yeah, might that's come it. Home but it was far from, yeah, very from California, so I guess. I guess. Um, the East Coast got hit. You know, Miami and Florida yes. got hit for sure. We yeah. saw it in other. But California parts. got hit by grief. You know, they were, <laughs> yeah. they were sad. <laughs> so he's on a high. Yeah. You know, and he's beating these robots, which are easy to beat. And then he finds the source of the robots, and it's this guy. And then it's all about trying to... You know, it's a really different approach. He's not... Buddy is a very empathetic character. He's not... It's not about fights for him. It's not about punching. No. So he tries to save this guy, and then he thinks he's come upon a solution, and he leaves, and then, you know, the guy commits suicide anyway. So again, the action is not very spectacular because no. the robots are easy to beat or beating themselves essentially by mm-hmm. malfunctioning the one thing that he has to do is basically listen to somebody else's story again mm-hmm. for the third time and at the end he did not succeed in his goal he did come close though he did come close <laughs> the, the one thing he didn't know was that the red mask was dying in the end it was like for the red mask the hope you're giving me of making my life mean something is secondary to the fact that I am on my last legs. I'm dying from whatever. I think the suicide is more about that. Yeah, and I think there's a, there's a glimpse of, of happiness, and, and, and this is going to sound very, very weird, but there's a glimpse of happiness in that jumping off the roof. Sure. Where he, he says... I'm doing it. He's feeling like he's flying, and that was that was that was some. That's a big moment in this uh, in this comic book. I mean, you kind of get taken back, and the way it's it's drawn out. I mean, uh, the art is very nice inside, and and this is this just a big white panel with this majestic. I mean, he looks good from you know. We kind of see it from that because pers- we see the other perspective afterwards, and he's all you know, he's all benty and he's not flying. <laughs> yeah, no. But we see him for that moment, that one leap, that one leap, that dive. 
you yeah. see him probably as as he sees himself. You know, he's majestic. He's in the air with the cape all flowy, and and he's perfect for that moment. And it's kind of sad, you know. I mean, it's meant to be. And after this. Morrison's going to get into an actual storyline. You know, the next right. issue is uh, the Justice League installing uh, teleporter tubes in his house and yeah. and, uh, and he fights the Mirror Masters, a legit villain. Yeah. And, you know, and then it's, people you know, get, we're off to the races. Yeah, like. people get to meet Martian Manhunter yeah. and they're all excited. Yeah, and so then we're going to get actual, like, a longer storyline where yeah. Animal Man, you know, loses his family, gets it back in Crisis 2. And it's all kind of the same story. But for now, we're just keeping time. It's like, whatever. And this is not as good as... I'm not going to say it's not as good. It's not as memorable a story as the Coyote Gospel or yeah. even the Thanagar thing. But it's part of that triptych. And I think the one theme that is you can see across a lot of Grant Morrison's superhero work is the idea of how do I say this insignificance and like the ineffectual hero this is something that recurs a lot in his work that's why he likes the multiverse the bigger the universe is and the stranger it is and the more complex it is and the more he can confront his heroes with the inexplicable and the greater than possible, the more ineffectual and more insignificant the hero and ourselves appear. It's about being somehow important, but be also being just a moat in God's eye, you know, just yeah. like a, we're nothing compared to this vastness, and yet we're going to try to make a cha uh, you know, a difference yeah. as heroes, and sometimes they do, and then sometimes, and, and you know, Animal Man is the avatar of not making a difference. Yeah, yeah. But still, still, he's still significant, but to our eyes, as the yeah. reader, you know. Because this whole Morrison run it basically ends with, well, it ends with the mother of all Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> uh, and, you know, usually when you get a Deus Ex Machina, you go, it's always a cheap It's always a thing. cheap end, yeah. But this isn't, because that's what it's been building to all along. Exactly. It's always been about the Deus Ex Machina. It's always been about the, the trope where the hero is saved at the last minute. Yeah. And in this case, it's so extreme that, you know, you have to embrace it as, well, this was the theme all along. This, exactly. You know, and in this, we get, you know, an echo of that theme as well, because yeah. Animal Man can't manage it. The other thing that's important within the run is that I think this is the issue where he finally exorcises Alan Moore from his comic book vocabulary. Yeah. Because in the... I, I, I know Morrison, but I don't really well, they know got, everything, like Morrison all the relationships. And, and Moore and... have, you know, there's obviously a... Uh, Alan Moore is in heavy inspiration to, to Morrison's early work. Okay. At least. And in the public, these two have been trashing each other for years. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't like that sort of gossip stuff. So I don't read much of it. Okay. I'm not sure about the particulars. Okay. But it's basically, you know, Morrison saying, shut up, old man, you're has-been, and Alan Moore going, uh, everything okay. you ever did, you ripped off from me. <laughs> I think it's that's the gist of it, possibly. So they, don't, they don't really like each other. No, apparently. And But it's true that... They're probably laughing their asses off drinking a beer somewhere. <laughs> or, it. sorry, drinking a pint, because, I mean... The early work, especially in that Animal Man, it shows. The, the prose in the first, like, four issues mm -hmm. is very poetic. It's kind of, you know, the, the way that the narration goes. It's very Alan Moore. Okay. Sort of poetic and uh, pretentious. And you get a lot of that. You know, this issue doesn't have so much, but that kind of mm -hmm. comic book prose is very Alan Moore. And in this, you know, it's super Alan Moore because it's got a Watchmen riff. It starts and ends 
with a man falling off a building or about to fall off a building. Yeah. And it's got that, you know, we're seeing white and then the blood drops and you're not sure what you're looking at. And then zooms yeah. out, zooms out, zooms out, zooms out. And then just the red and then cut to the red helmet. And then it does that again at the end because when he falls off, you know, the, the red of the blood and all of the, like, the panel structure is like Watchmen. Very much so, actually. Yeah. I, I didn't really notice it, but very much so. Even in color schemes. Yeah. And, because, yeah. you know, trade off the comedian for the red mask. It's, you know, a guy yeah. falling off. A building. Yeah, very much. Yeah. So it's obviously a riff on Watchmen. And after this, it doesn't feel like, you know, Animal Man does any Alan Moore stuff anymore. The prose calms down. So this is the end of the basically Alan Moore yeah. influence. So I don't know if there's, you know, between influence and the feud or whatever is happening. I don't know what the timeline is, but I like to think it's like, this is the final... Screw you, Alan Moore. Kind of, <laughs> kind of thing. It's like yeah. you stop bashing me in the comics media and the wiz- wizards and the <laughs> whatever, whatever. Uh, no Street Prize guy. It's just, it's just, <laughs> shut up already, and then I'm just gonna rip you off one last time. Yes. And then, <laughs> and then never again. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but we like to think that. We'll, because we'll it is. It's, it's, I mean, it's a Watchmen reference quite clearly. I think. So that's the thing. What about uh, the Red Mask? I mean, we talked about this just before the recording, but the game the comic book plays is to make us believe this, you know, make us run to Wikipedia and yeah. find out if the Red Mask... It's exactly what I did. ...appeared in the Golden Age somewhere. Because the, the mask is very reminiscent of uh, Red Hood's yeah. mask when they brought back the idea of the Joker as the Red Hood. Right. This long tube-type thing... With no face and you know it's very uh, what's what's the word ominous yeah the Joker who is the red hood yeah. kind of is a combination of the red mask the helmet yeah. and then the veils yeah and just having a suit really is and uh, and 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 but this character the red mask he looks so familiar even his you know skull like logo on his you know it's it's an R like opened up to yeah. be like a skull you know and it's it really looks like something you probably would have seen somewhere. So I was like, where did I and see And Death this? Touch, I mean, that's... It's very... It's a very Golden Age powered. Very Golden could Age. Could have been. But he doesn't exist. He's Neither he's, he nor the Veil have any other appearances. This is their inventions. Exactly. Captain so, Triumph exists. Yeah, well, that's the like the tipping off point. I was like, this, where does he... And then there's the mention of Captain Triumph. And I'm like, well, that guy existed. So I yeah. went to check and there's nothing. Although, there's still a link between Red Mask and... Red Hood. Yeah, as you found out. I mean, yeah. I, I never... I Maybe I twigged on it when I first saw it, because I did read Batman Incorporated. Uh, and uh, But we just we looked it up, and yeah, yeah the the Red Hood had a costume uh, that was used in the Morrison's run on Batman mm-hmm. that is variation on this. Yeah. I mean, the color scheme's off. It's, it's white rather than... Uh, garish uh, yellow. Garish yellow, yeah. Very yellow. Oof. Uh, and it's I don't know the cape is what color again on the uh, it's black I think yeah. but the the hood is still it's the same. it's that tube yeah. helmet that red helmet but he's got the a skull it's not yes. the, it's not an R it's not as played but it's very similar but to... it looks more like a brain with eyes yeah but yeah it's that skull so obviously Morrison is riffing or maybe Frank Whiteley designed it based on nice little thin string just linking the the two yeah. so it's, it's a tribute to that story yeah. They could, I mean, they literally could do this uh, Sentinel-type thing where, you know, that character didn't exist really. But they could basically take Red Mask and create a series and 
give him life in the in the 40s because he started off 45 after the war and yeah, they, they, they put could, him down in that obscure comic story you know, end yeah. of the golden age every villain was a doctor something and every yeah. you know they had you know in fact there's a mention of uh, dr um, fang fang so i looked that up as well so i thought <laughs> well is this someone it's not not really there's an early 80s batman villain called dr fang so obviously not he won these robots the robots are obviously vintage. Yes. You know, that can't be an 80s Batman villain who would have used those robots. In fact, no. And then maybe it was, I thought, maybe, well, maybe this is uh, supposed to be Fang Gao, who um, appeared like in 50 issues of More Fun Comics from number one on. Sort of a Yellow Peril kind of okay. character who, um, but it doesn't really fit the bill either. So basically, Dr. Fang is just... Maybe we, we would know him as Professor Fang. Maybe he didn't do his, you know, he didn't take his doctorate. And, <laughs> he didn't, yeah, didn't do, finish his PhD. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's um, but So still, I, I guess it's, again, it's supposed to be in the fringes of the DC Universe, there are these very obscure villains and heroes. But once again, Morrison is, is such, uh, I think he, he loves this multiverse so much that there could be an Earth where this guy existed. I mean, it has to be. It's infinite. Yeah, as if he was someone left yeah, he over was from someone, the end. And then when the when the Earths crunch together, there is, you know, vestiges of all the other Earths that appear in a new form. Yeah. And this is it. Because and, he fought yeah. Captain Triumph, like you said, Earth X, but all, wanted to join the JSA, Earth 2. Yeah. And, um, and then we don't know who they are at all. Exactly. So it, him and the Veil, so maybe they were... You know, originally might have been from a completely different Earth, and it's just like all smushed. Maybe. Once again, it kind of feels like a statement from Morrison saying, you know, the multiverse wasn't so bad. And, you know, this guy existed somewhere. I didn't write him yet. He was going to exist on Earth 77. And, you know, and he was going to be this guy. He was going to become, I don't know. I think that's what the fun of a a huge universe like DC or Marvel offers is that there are all sorts of little corners you know, who knows? Why are all the, the superheroes in uh, New York or Metropolis or Gotham? Or, uh, you know, wh- what are the heroes and villains in Wisconsin? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's Why is nobody a... defending the cheese? Right. Somebody needs See, to defend the cheese. this is a story cheese. in Miami. Again, mm-hmm. you know, that's a city that... Do they have superheroes and villains? <laughs> they probably do because it's a large enough city. Yeah. But we don't know what's happening there. So there's a lot of these little stories. That Morrison often does this. Yeah. Just Let's look at this country. Let's look at this city. Let's... Let's look at these little heroes and villains. Because, again, it's the theme of insignificance. Well, we'll see that a lot in Crisis 2, Infinite Crisis 2. Yeah, yeah, it brings back or invents characters from Earth that would have been wiped out, you know, regardless, because they were too silly or too dated. And he still still does that in in Multiplicity. Brings back Captain Carrot as a Superman. You know, he's the rabbit Superman. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a love of the entire canon. And he's the one that was behind the the hyper reality thing, mm -hmm. whatever it's called. Uh, You know, just to explain how everything sort of connects, is real, is true. All the stories happened. Mm-hmm. Even though we remember them differently, or yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's quite fun. Uh, yeah. Anything else? Uh no. I just really like this comic. I mean, I I know it's a one off, but it's very nicely done as a one off. The look is great. The story is great. I kind of want to know the red mask a little bit more, but I won't. This was a one time meeting only. So yeah, I, I just and I yeah, I mean, 
I'm a fan of Animal Man, so I'm kind of biased. But I really loved it. Well, we're fans of Animal Man because the writing was so strong. I think I would have been a sort of conceptual fan of Animal Man, you know, from the Who's Who issue or when well, it was Forgotten Heroes, just because I like the power set. Well, that's the thing. If, but, if, if you like the power set, you'd be, I mean, you'd probably like Vixen. Probably a lot more. She's, she's I like she, Vixen. And I do too. But uh, it's not about powers. It's it's never about powers. <laughs> it's never about powers. That's, ah, that's... Sometimes it is. Like, we like super speed. We've talked we, about this. We do love super speed. But do we like every speedster? Uh, most not... of them bug me, yeah. Yeah, not necessarily. Because, but we do like the power set. Yeah. So that gives us an in. And if you go look at the character that yeah. has the power set you're interested in, and then it's well written, well, great. If it's badly written, then you don't care. So Animal Man is just like the guy that had uh, some really great stories initially that made me a fan forever, even though... The arcs that came later were not well. Didn't, was, didn't do as, as good a job, let's say. Let, oh yeah. Well, the writing was good, not only in the dialogue and how the characters respond to one another and how they, they deal with situations, but I mean, in the first miniseries, there's this time where he gets his arm ripped off, you know, and he's he kind of goes, he's going dark. I mean, he's going to pass out and. His powers just go into overdrive, trying to save them. Yeah, they reach out for and earthworms. they reach out for earthworms. Yeah, see that stuff I liked also because you know I was I, I mean I did I did study in biology and I was like, among oh, other things among other things but you know and and I was like oh every power in existence he could go even further than that some some animals are resistant to radiation and, and yeah oh and, no he does uh, during the Morrison run I think his powers were the most. Fun. It's like let's just get get a, a stack of safari cards. Remember those? Yeah. Uh, you know, let's get a stack of safari cards and look at and, and find strange abilities and then mm. how they would relate to a normal sized person. So he gets like the you know the bomber ch- shrimp and yeah. then there's uh, the reaction time of a fly. Yeah. Is one where he avoids a poisonous droplet yeah. or whatever. I mean, that uh, was that was brilliant. Yeah, it's you know really fun stuff. I, I wish he'd done like the horny toad um, spitting blood out of his eyes. <laughs> that's one I would. That's if yeah. I'm writing an animal's man story, that happens. That I'm happens. telling you right now. I've seen it. I've seen the horned toad freaking spit out blood. I'm doing that uh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. It is my favorite lizard. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> But but why wouldn't you? Because it's all in there, and 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 at the end, I mean, because his powers. I mean, I'm not spoiling anything. This is 25 years old. Mm. Uh, but uh, I hope I'm not spoiling anything. 30. 30 years old. Oh, 1988. Yeah. We're 18. Yeah. Jeez. Well, uh, you know, Animal Man kind of goes off and just he has all this power from all the animals, and he doesn't have to like trying to find them with his animal sense powers and stuff like that. And, yeah. and that's where it just. He could be one of the most powerful beings. When the series turns Vertigo, he sort of becomes a a god or an elemental in the same range as Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't like the look or the what they did with him. That you know, it's away from the strange superhero kind of stuff. But yeah, but you know, tapping into the red is you know can be potentially very powerful. I mean, Buddy. He's. I mean, (laughs) once again, his name's Buddy. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's not supposed to be this all-powerful elemental animal man. Yeah, but he's the... It's not even clever. He's a superhero with a family. Yeah. He's, you know, it's, His kid's not even impressed. There's a lot of this, this little... I mean, that's uh, it's so a, beautiful. A lot of... Yeah, he's more human than a lot of superheroes. You know, there's it's so small. Yeah, the contrasts are yeah. so... Big and, and incredible. I mean, that's why I, I mean that's why we like them. We said we wouldn't talk about that. Uh, okay, well, we'll take a break. Okay. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about what else was being published by DC. But what was published by DC? Many things. 
Stick around. Ah, after a long day of criminal activity, there's nothing I like better than to sit down and listen to the old radio. Wait a minute, that's not a radio. It's Plastic Man! Plastic Man! Plastic Man! That's right, it's the Plastic Cast, a brand new podcast dedicated to Plastic Man. I'm your host, Max Romero. Together, we'll be talking about Plastic Man in the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Bronze Age, and every other age you can think of, right up to his upcoming reappearance in DC Rebirth. We'll also be talking about any Plastic Man news that might be coming up, and his appearances in every media from comics to cartoons. Makes me woozy just to think about it. I hope you'll join me to talk about the longest arm of the law here on the Plastic Cast, here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We're back. I did not give Abbas much of a chance to do research here because I just, you know, I, I worked on myself. I listed up, uh, and then you'll just have to react. I react beautifully. As, <laughs> I'm very as good you at would. Okay, we talked about, like I said, in a co- previous episodes, we did talk about the solo and team heroes that yeah. had a book. Should have participated, like the Titans, you know, yeah. should have participated. Where the hell were they? But were stuck in some storylines that did not allow it or had editors that did not, or writers that did not want to participate in the invasion. But, uh, you know, in the past or in the future, those series, even like Legion, found a way to tie into the, the big event. Uh, so we talked about those, the ones that, that should have been in the invasion. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about the rest of the stuff that DC was publishing that would not normally have been part of any kind of crossover, either because they live in a separate universe, licensing and whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or we're just starting up. We're like on our first or second issue. So that's not... You can't cross you, over there. No, unless you spring out of the event. And uh, miniseries and specials. That are telling their own their own self-contained yeah. story, and of course, the first one I want to show is actually the last one published because we're talking about the period between on the stands. It would have been mid October to mid December, okay, more or less, would be when First Strike and Aftermath happened. The period between Invasion Number One and Invasion Number Three uh, on the stands, you would have seen that banner quite a lot. One of the last ones to show up, maybe even a week after Invasion Number Three, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics was this. This is a, a treat because it, Plastic Man number four? <laughs> yes, yeah. the Phil Foglio miniseries. Of course, the miniseries has nothing to do, but it does have the Invasion banner. It does. It is not an Invasion Aftermath extra. That's what it says on it. But it, but it is. It's, so, <laughs> it is a story about an alien invasion. So yeah. uh, in it, the there's just like these aliens and they sort of uh, they're interested in the U.S.'s financial system <laughs> because their own, I don't know, society is crashing. And uh, they try to steal Manhattan, uh, but Plastic Man intervenes and um, the island is put back, except the the wrong way round. Okay. <laughs> so, so you've got aliens. Superman shows up, you know. So Superman shows up. So right away, you know, you're some, somewhere outside continuity because Superman left Earth you know, during the invasion. But uh, but yeah, so one of the extra jokes in the Plastic Man uh, miniseries is not <laughs> an invasion aftermath extra. But it might have been. It might have been one of those weird side stories with, you know, replace those weird aliens with someone else. You might have had a cheeky kind of crossover, like the humorous crossover. It's funny because I'm just going through it. And the last page, we're looking at classic 
Plastic Man, you know, it looks like a, yeah. a well, comic strip, the, you know. The, throughout the miniseries, what they did was sometimes... There are two schools of thought about Plastic Man. And uh, please listen to It's Plastic Man by our friend Max Romero yes. here on the network for, for more on this discussion, I'm sure. This evolving discussion. Uh, because the, the idea is, is either Plastic Man is a very normal person, a straight man, who lives in a sort of zany, cartoonish world you know his adventures and his villains and woozy wings are very zany but he is the straight man so there's that school of thought and then there's the school of thought that sort of starts here really as far as the modern perception of plastic man is that he's he's looney tunes himself and the rest of the world is perhaps normal so the conceit in the phil foglio series is that what you see you know the idea that it's cartoonish and humorous and full of gags is Plastic Man vision. This yeah. is how he sees the world. So there's always a page, I think, in each of the issues that is drawn by Kevin Nolan instead. And it's, this is the real world. Yeah, it's closer to real drawings of real people. Right. You've got that contrast where what you see usually is plastical vision. And then sometimes you'd get like breaking that, that wall yeah. and you'd see the real world shown as illustration yeah. rather than cartooning. So that was an amusing idea. And so it is. It I, is. I don't mind the Plastic Man as uh, kind of a Looney Tunes character. Oh, no. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine with me. I mean, you know, my idea of him, and I think that's probably what Foglio was tapping into. Just drawing Plastic Man must have been such fun. I mean, if you if you like to draw cartoons, I mean, this guy, holy, everything. Yeah, because he's rubbery and, uh, you know, everybody's a little bit... Colored. I mean, everybody's... You know, has big teeth and everything. Everybody's gangly and and everything is just so cartoony. I mean, it's like a it's like a cartoon gasm all over these pages. I, I feel it's like wonderful. Like, like Foglio had a number of these miniseries during this this time. I did like a Stanley and his monster and Angel and the Ape, which kind of co-starred in the uh, Inferior Five. So he was going into the okay. Let's let's use these more humorous characters and give them a little life in the post-crisis universe. Which yeah. you know, I I, I bought up. Each one, I, I really liked it. Quite fun. It is fun. Uh, what else was on the stands? Well, let's look at miniseries and specials. Okay. Like, this was a miniseries. What else? Uh, well, the last issue of Hawk and Dove, before it went to series. So really? the, the miniseries that was drawn by um, Rob Liefeld, before, Liefeld, b- before, before he Liefeld. was before he was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> Liefeld he's, before Liefeld. Well, he's inked by Carl Kiesel, who's like my favorite inker, probably, from that era. Mm-hmm. And um, so, okay, so they're stuck in a miniseries, Hawk and Dove. You have any connection to those characters? I know them from the Teen Titans. I mean, that's where they, I think they originated, but I really don't know. That's where I they saw They started them. in their own series, but, yeah, okay. you know, They caught up to the, the Teen eventually Titans. Eventually they joined the Teen Titans or were sort of, and then this miniseries introduced, because uh, Don Hall, the, 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 the dove, yeah. died in crisis. So this introduced a female dove, you know, a much better character, a more easy to yeah. write character, because... Originally, it was very much, you know, one is a, one is about war and aggression, and the other one is about peace, and then sort of a political thing. Here, they, they made her more about order, where Hawk was chaos, and, you know, they played with that idea. Yeah, I really like that idea of chaos and order, and it comes back in a lot of... DC was doing yeah. uh, a big uh, Lords of Chaos and Order riff across 
a number of books. Yeah. Uh, Deadshot number four, the last issue of the Deadshot miniseries. Oh, there was a Deadshot miniseries? Oh, yeah. 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 So it's spun out of Suicide Squad, obviously, and it told like a very personal story about him and his his past, and and he was dealing with it in the present. I mean, he's an interesting character. He's one of Yeah, and in Suicide Squad, he really blossomed as a character. So you sort of saw whatever his daddy issues and. I can can see why the miniseries would probably would have. uh... By the same people who did Suicide Squad. So it was very much. An outgrowth of that. So a miniseries can't participate in Invasion. Uh, there was a number of, you know, there were a couple of war comics really? uh, within the DC Universe. In the late 80s? Oh, yeah, still. Oh, I thought they, they, they weren't there, doing it anymore. Yeah, they were, you know, we're transitioning away from that. Okay. But there was still a Sergeant Rock special. So he'd lost his series at some point in the 80s. Still a special. Okay. Obviously. Takes place in World War II. No place for invasion. It's a different kind of invasion. Unknown Soldier, numbers uh, two and three, came out during those months. So this was like a 12-issue maxi-series that sort of redesigned the Unknown Soldier, who used to be just a disguise artist. But now uh, was that, but also sort of immortal. In the DC line, we've had different versions of the Unknown Soldier. And this one is sort of non-canonical kind of thing because it sort of goes against other stories. Okay, well, he's unknown, so... There you go. Last issue of Cosmic Odyssey came out. So that was the big... Well, big. I mean, it's a crossover I I detest. But uh, (laughs) except for the Mike Mignola art, it was like a Jim Starlin story, and he trued himself, never writes the characters as they are, only as he thinks maybe they could be. Okay. It's like, I feel like this guy refuses to read any DC comics, <laughs> and then they give him jobs, and then he writes characters. Yeah, I don't know. I can't wait to read it, because I just bought it. <laughs> okay. I just bought it, uh, the, the trade paperback. Well, it ruins Jon Stewart. Okay. Um, it, I, I love the art, though. I, I really just bought it because of the art. It retcons the anti-life equation, okay. Dark Side and all that, which is immediately ignored by every other writer ever. <laughs> I mean... Okay, so, I'm going to enjoy this. Yeah, Cosmic Odyssey. So it, really, if you count that as a crossover event, because it's got a lot of heroes. Yeah, it's a lot of people. And it's a big epic thing, except it doesn't tie into anything, per se. So that's like, I guess DC was doing like back-to-back crossover events. So it's like Cosmic Odyssey happens, and then bam, Invasion hits one on the heel of the other. But this one's going to tie into stuff and actually matter. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, the other one's on Apocalypse, and it's basically yeah, Darkseid's... Yeah, yeah quest for the entire life i mean it should be a much better story i just don't you know they just went oh jim starlin all the cosmic stuff at marvel he's got the cred he's got the cosmic i don't think he's got the you know he's one of these people there there are writers that i do like if i see their name on something i don't want to read that and despite whatever they did before so jim starlin on warlock and whatever during the 70s sure cool Seminal stuff. Anything he's done for DC, throw <laughs> it in the bin. You know, it's terrible. Oh, I can't wait to read it I have it the now. same problem with um, JMS there. You know, Babylon 5 is a great yeah. work. Every superhero comic he's ever done. I hate it. Uh, <laughs> I think it's so dull and pretentious. So, you know, yeah. What else? Uh, uh, Neil Gaiman's Black Orchid number one came out. Oh, wow. A three-issue prestige miniseries where... Black Orchid is reimagined yeah, more as a plant woman. This is kind of what it's precursor to uh, Vertigo. Yeah, right. this is going to. This is all before Vertigo. We're oh, we're years away from Vertigo actually. But we're kind of flirting with the yeah. Vertigo type idea. Karen Berger is sort of recruiting these mm-hmm. British. You know, it's like a British invasion. So they're she's recruiting these British writers who are you know very interesting and literate. Yeah. 
and, uh, and giving them projects, and this was one of them. And eventually somebody, not Neil Gaiman, but somebody else, wrote a Black Orchid series okay. once Vertigo actually launched. Uh, what else here? There are a couple of reprints. Best of Brave and the Bold 5 and 6 came out, so the, and Christmas with the Superheroes number 1, which I think was all you know, older stories. About Christmas. Well, we love Christmas superhero stories. I love a Christmas special. I don't know about you, but I yeah. love a Christmas special. Yeah, I don't like Christmas, but I like Christmas oh. uh, comics. Yeah, Christmas <laughs> comics, Christmas Doctor Who, Christmas anything. Love Christmas The Office. Yeah. No, I don't have a... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, in my media, I like Christmas. It's like dogs. I like dogs in movies. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want dogs around yeah, in yeah. my life. I'm just, you know... I don't know what to do with them. I, I'm exactly <laughs> like that with people. I like people on TV and stuff like that. I don't like them in my... I just don't like them. Yeah. yeah just, people are fine when they're fiction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're so well written. <laughs> Real life people. Ugh, who's writing these people? And then there was comics that were just starting up. Too early to tie into something. Uh, so Dr. Fate was on its second issue. Okay, and this is... Uh... The Linda and Strauss, um, you know, the the two, the brother and sister. Yeah. Uh, no, are they married? Whatever. The couple. I don't know. Who turns, you know, merge into a new Dr. Fate. The, 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 the Firestorm Dr. Fate. Eric and Linda Strauss. Shoop, yeah. Become a Dr. Fate. Uh, so this this was like uh, Jim Demetrius and, um, you know, Sean McManus on art. Mm-hmm. and So it was, a, I really liked that series. Yeah, you talked about it once. Yeah, right? yeah, we talked about it before in on, when we talked about, like, mystical yeah, heroes. Yeah, exactly. That series was just starting up, and uh, that Dr. Fate would wind up in the Justice League. Dr. Fate is always awesome. Uh, Mr. Miracle, number one. Speaking of Justice League, really? so uh, he spun out of you know JLI's success uh, to get his own series, which was uh, good for like the first few issues. Really, I I read the whole thing because I like the characters. I mean, it's and, him, Oberon, and Big Barda living in the suburbs. So it's basically a sitcom. Yeah, with Barda. Miracle. And, and then you get like the forever people or the, the new gods crashing. And people, the pad. Yeah. people applauding like when Kramer yeah. comes in. And, and originally I really like, like the, I like the art. Yeah. And, uh, but then it was one of those series that felt like, was this supposed to be a miniseries? Because it soon lost its artist yeah. and, you know, it's doing lesser stories. I like Mr. Miracle just point blank. Yeah. As a character. So you know what? It's kind of strange that of all the JLI's success, it's a comedy. People like that. And there are some very humorous characters in there who don't have their own series. Let's spin them out into, you know, a sitcom. Mr. Miracle? Sure. Sure, fine. But he was like the third wheel of Blue and Gold in the book. It's really, it's Booster and Beetle. And then Mr. Miracle is sort of their straight man. I guess, yeah. Character. Yeah. Like the third buddy. The guy who gets dragged into the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. The guy who gets in the back seat. And then he has to go home. And he's got a wife at home. Well, that's the funny you know? part. Because Big Barda as, quote unquote, the housewife. I mean, that's just hilarious. Yes. Yeah. So that series plays into that. And, the, you know. And she's fantastic in that role. I mean, I just read her in the JLI. Mm-hmm. And in that role, and I mean, I'm, I'm in love with Big Barda. Oh, sure. sure. She's just great. Bunny slippers, but she's yeah. a warrior. It's it's fantastic. So, yeah. So, why don't why don't Blue and Gold get a series? <laughs> because throughout JLI, they're the, well, the most popular duo in there. Mm-hmm. They're the main source of comedy. They lost their series just as they joined the Justice League. It's sort yeah. of like, well, these series aren't quite working. We've canceled Blue Beetle. We'll cancel Booster Gold. They're in the Justice League now. Fine. But then they become such a, like, a great... There's never been a Blue and Gold series. People have been asking for Blue and Gold since the 80s. 
It's been 30 years. We want him on TV. We can't have him on TV. I, it's just weird. I, I don't know if it's like, well, too much of a good thing. They're so central to Justice League. If we put them in their own series, they have their own hijinks there. It's just going to dilute the brand. I don't know. But it's just, it seemed like of all the, okay, we need a series. Okay, who can we spin <laughs> off? Um, you know, it's, and it's Mr. Miracle. It's not them. Yeah. This is what I mean. Well, you know, somebody said we could do a blue and gold. And somebody said, no, 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 not, not right now. All right, let's keep that on retainer. We're going to come big with Blue and Gold. Yeah. What, what, what do we have? Because Guy Gardner got his own series. Yeah. The Couch oh. got his own series after uh, JLI. Who? The, the Couch. couch. <laughs> Where's that Rocket Red and Oberon um, <laughs> spinoff? Anyway, no, it's just uh, it's just a weird, yeah. I don't know, it's like a weird quirk of publishing. Is there somebody at DC that went, that just banged on the table and said, there will be, there will never be a Blue and Gold series? As long as I live, and everybody's just waiting for him to die or something. Is that something that happens? Well, I mean, they might have just gone with the numbers and said, well, there, we had a Blue Beetle series, and it didn't sell. We had a Booster Gold series, and it stopped selling. There's no financial viability here. I know, but that's stupid. I, I mean, you can, you can, you know, if you have salt, you can sell salt, but yeah, you can't eat just so, and you can sell French fries, but, you know, unsalted. But you put them together and it's delicious. Blue and gold. Uh, the other series that was just starting out, the, another new number one, is a little known series called Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Oh, well. So that was a game changer. For everything. Of all yeah. the Vertigo-ish books at the time, this is like the most leading into full-on Vertigo, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, this was comic books for, for smart adults. and Yeah, it brought in a lot of women readers yeah. Yeah. At, at a time when... Maybe that wasn't, you know, very... Well, um, all the women in that comic just were phenomenal. Sure. They were, they were anyway, you know, it tapped into with like sort of the goth yeah. uh, culture of the time and the sort of counterculture stuff. And yeah. it was very literate and it was fantasy. You know, it was everything that superhero comics <laughs> weren't, maybe. Yeah. And uh, although originally, you can tell in like the first seven issues, eight issues, Gaiman is sort of struggling because he's got Sandman in the DC universe. And mm -hmm. you know, Mr. Miracle actually shows up. There's like a shot of the Justice, of the Justice League in there, which is very strange looking at it now because that's not what we think of as Sandman. Yeah, I, I started on Sandman fairly late, I think, with Season of the Mists. Okay. So it's pretty late. And then I had to go back and get some trades and, and random issues that I'd missed. But that's a great way to read it, though. Oh, when, yeah. when you go back and all of a sudden you have all this material you can read, you're not waiting month after month or week after week. Yeah, I think that's what, at least now, I think that's one way to lose momentum, the waiting game. I would not, for example, have been able to read Ultimate Spider-Man in not in trades. Yeah. Because it's, it's just like long conversations, nothing happens. It slows down to a... Crawl. Crawl. Oh. Uh, yeah, and, uh, but, you know, as a trade, yeah. it's breezy. And then you end up, each trade really tells a full story. Exactly. But, you know, when I was a youth, that whole story would have taken just one issue. Yeah, exactly. I would have gotten that complete story. It's fitting that today we, we did read actually a one-off, you know, a one-shot. Yeah. What else? Oh, well, that, the, those are the ones we're starting up. Uh, not part of the DC Universe. There Where number, were we? There are a number of these. Uh, Doc Savage and The Shadow both had a series. Okay. So those pulp heroes. Uh, v for Vendetta was being... Oh, really? Uh, ...partly republished, I guess. I don't know if they ever finished it in the UK, but DC republished it with colors. Okay. And then eventually as a graphic novel. But uh, yeah, V for Vendetta was being republished by DC. Then there's something called Haywire. Handy Elfer's uh, story about a guy with a stolen armor... This one doesn't even have a Wikipedia entry. Lasted wow. like 13 issues. 
Wow, kind of like the band Haywire, Canadian band that had like one half hit. <laughs> But not like the Steven Soderbergh movie <laughs> with uh, Gina Carano, which was quite good. I don't know. Haywire is just a bad name for everything. I don't think so. <laughs> what, the Prisoner? There was okay. a um, painted prestige miniseries ba- wow. based on the television show. Wow. You're a fan of The Prisoner? I know of it. Wouldn't say I'm a fan. I would. I know of it. <laughs> I used to do a lot of the the, the opening thing where, um, I'm not a number. I'm a free man. <laughs> Uh, what else? A tail gunner Joe. This was uh, oh, this is one of my favorites. I don't know him, but he's a tail gunner. He's uh, at the she, tail end. She, she's at well, she, he because um, she, Joe is a girl born with birth defects, and then events lead her brain to being transferred into her father's body, where there's a virtual reality created for her. But their problems arise, and the, the real and the virtual start to bleed into one another. Oh, this is so complicated. Just do a trend. <laughs> Sexual. Well, I don't even know if that was the subtext. I've never read it. What else? Mature Readers Horror Anthology A Wasteland, oh. which is on my list of things to seek out and read. I guess yeah. it's because of a Twilight Zone. And share with some of your horror friends, I guess. Probably. They DC had a deal with TSR starting up at this point. Really? Roleplaying? Yep. Is it ro- yeah, it's roleplaying. Yep. To do series based on games. Dragonlance was on like maybe its third or fourth issue. Okay. And um, they just launched Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, which is a terrible name for a comic. Terrible name for everything. (laughs) I mean, advanced, really. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's it's like really the brand. But it was about a party. Yeah. Doing adventures in the... Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure in which world. But uh, <laughs> I like those comics. There was also like a Forgotten Realms and a Spelljammer uh, series that they did. And I, I like those comics just because as a gamer, uh, the back had stats for the stuff that you found in the comic. Oh, really? So the characters or the monsters or See, the I was artifacts. playing Dungeons & Dragons back then, but I didn't really read comics. Yeah, I was still playing something like AD&D. I was using AD&D books to run my own homebrew. Oh, that's that's great. That's perfect. Because, I mean, it was tedious and it was a lot of... Well, in Edmonston, New Brunswick, uh, there was no gaming shop, no comic book shop, nothing like that. Uh, Not until eventually there was like this little store that opened up just across the border in Madawaska, Maine. And then I started getting a lot of the AD&D stuff, second edition, and a lot of other games. DC Heroes and, you know, the the ones I'm known to have liked. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so really, from the ninth grade to that point, which was probably first year university, and I was still in Edmonston, where do you get books? So I got a couple books from a science fiction book club, and I found like a monster manual at a Toys R Us in Montreal. (laughs) You know, it was... It was scavenging. People were scavenging to find... I I had like uh, Grimtooth's Traps 2, which has no stats or anything, but... It's yeah. obviously a gaming book. I think an airport bookstore? You know what? <laughs> I, 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 this is why, I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, all of a sudden we kind of saw this geek culture come along. And, you know, and I love it. 
I love it because I was always a, a closet geek. You know, I, I read comic books and I loved superheroes, but I never said anything. I, you know, I used to play soccer and stuff like that. Okay. We talk about soccer, but I, you never... don't want your soccer buddies to no, judge you. They probably think it was lame and, you know, and uh, so... they were all reading comics and gaming. Probably. I don't know. That's one of, you know, that's one of my takeaways from once you get to university it is. or later. And then you talk to people who you don't imagine. Do they have all sorts of other hobbies? They're yeah. cool. They're dating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're DJs and they're... Well, you see, I was one of those. I was, this... you know, sports guys. And then you find out that yeah. they're all gamers. Yeah. Maybe not at this point, but yeah. they all play D&D. Yeah, absolutely. And and I was one of those. So, you know, I, I saw it as being uncool and I did it, you know, by myself and and hidden from everything else. Yeah. And... LARPing in the woods. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you did that. Uh, yeah, you did. And it was great. It's a combination of camping and, you know, fighting. But, you know, after a while, there's this, all of a sudden, this geek culture started happening. But I can see how these old-timey geeks where you had to scavenge. You know, you had to, first of all, find money, yeah. learn learn how to either buy it from the, some kind of mail order thing or find somebody who has it or talk to a bookshop owner or try to find stuff and, and it's all little treasures right and and you, my first polyhedral dice i still have them <laughs> were a hand-me-down from an older gamer that somebody in my group knew as we were sort of wanting to start up so we had that one set of dice yeah you couldn't find those dice anywhere and it came from like in the it was like in the basic D box or something they were yeah. pale blue you can see them behind you i uh, you know, know the super see. pale blue one yeah yeah those ones and uh, yeah, it's just like, and the, you know, the, the numbers are all rubbed off and they were already like that. Yeah. And that was the only dice we had like for like three years. I, I still have my, <laughs> my first dice too. And I don't even game anymore. I still have them in, in my... My first so. contact with D&D was sort of like somebody brought an adventure module to school. And we just like looked at the maps and said, oh, what is this? And then I sort of set up a meeting with this older gamer who, and I don't remember who that is. And it's kind of creepy. You put yourself in danger for this type of stuff. Well, I mean, <laughs> if I was in ninth grade, I'm what, 14? Yeah. And this person was probably, oh, he's so old, you know, he's like he, probably 16 or 17. Yeah. Probably could drive. <laughs> probably. You know, he went to the other school. He went to the high yeah. school and then was still in they, middle school. They become the, our little treasures, right? And, and a lot of old timey geeks, you know, they don't like that, you know, you can just find everything online and you can binge watch Doctor Who and know everything about Who and, you know, can you call yourself a Whovian? But, you know, there's all this stuff and I, and I kind of get it because, I mean, these little treasures, they're so much better when they're shared. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I see I'm, it. I'm of two minds. I mean, obviously, I lived through that. Yeah. Scavenging to find a Captain America comic book. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because today, if you go into a uh, flea market looking for comics, you won't find much. No. Uh, you'll find, you know, sometimes you'll find just like terrible '90s stuff that was overprinted. Yeah. It's even that in that way in like a comic book shop. Yeah. It's difficult to just like look through the quarter bin or the dollar bin or whatever, however high it goes here. Yeah. Uh, but looking through a quarter bin because now you're older, you know, probably when I was in going through flea markets when I was 13, I'd find something from 1979 and go, <gasps> yeah, <gasps> and that was like five years ago. Yeah. So today. <laughs> To yeah. find something from the 70s, it's usually not a bargain bin kind of thing unless it's in very bad shape. Exactly. Uh, it's going to be backed and boarded and, you know. Yeah. Back, and you're, yeah. you're going to read it once, put it back on the... So, so anything that's like five years ago, <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a perfectly good trade of it right there. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. Anything that's like 20 years ago is still 90s crap. 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I want my the '90s. Nobody wants. You know, the bargain them. bin is full of these awful Marvel and Image comics from the late '90s with, with um, pouches and everything. Yeah, I, you know, everything I wanted, I have. I have things I don't want. <laughs> That's why they get into bargain bins. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I know. It, yeah. There's the the antiquing element. Yeah, there there is <laughs> there is this weird thing, this weird hunter type. Thing and and I just I, I love it I love yeah. it I, I don't that's why own I, anything that's why I collect a lot of you know I own a lot of yeah, things you do and a lot of it is because I have that collecting gene that I, probably you're right it comes with yeah. the, the the way the hobbies were set up originally if, especially if you're in a small town you don't have access to anything so you're grabbing random things and you're gonna archive stuff being a closet geek. Only my parents knew I liked that stuff, and they were fine with it. So to get back to, our, to yeah, to get back to our, uh, to our comics, uh, you know, AD and D, Dragonlance, uh, Gamma Rodders was also a TSR game that's okay, little little no remembered, idea. but got a comic at this point. Hmm. So there was like this deal, and of course I was into it because not Gamma Rodders, but I was into the the D and D ones because I was still playing. Sword yeah. and sorcery, and and there were probably good comics. I mean, there actually yes, yeah. I you know I like AD and D was the better one. Okay. For me, Dragonlance was always like a world I never uh, really looked at it. Yeah. You know, you were either a Dragonlance fan or you just didn't care about it. Yeah. Just like a side thing. Um, so the comic was the same. It's like my, I guess probably my biggest contact with Dragonlance is the comic. The Forgotten Realms and Spelljammer ones came out later. So by that point, I was like, uh, well, I'm not necessarily reading all of it. So those were comics that were less interesting to me. Uh, but I, I collected AD&D for, you know, probably oh, wow. the whole run. Wow. Yeah. I like the characters. They're probably well-rolled up characters. Yeah, Gender Sema Arts, so that's good mm. at fantasy. Uh, what else? Cops, the animated series. Cops? Had a comic. Really? From DC. Flash Gordon uh, had a modernized update by Dan Jurgens at this point. Wow. Uh, so those comics obviously did not cross over because they're part of a different universe. Yeah. Uh, others, well, the Wanderers had a series at this point, uh, and I guess we could have put them in another show because they are part of the DCU, but uh, I forgot them <laughs> and I will forget them again. Yeah. Once this episode is over the fucking wanderers because the wanderers are like the, they live in the 30th century with the Legion. Yeah. But they wander and nobody cares about them. And, the, and this series sort of reinvent, they, they were all like killed and cloned Ugh. wrong or something. Cause they all have different looks. I don't want to get into it. I think the wanderers <laughs> are just like a terribly executed concept. Okay. Let's say we talked about it. If, if, if you're really interested, uh, go check out the last episode of the Who's Who in the Legion we did here on the network. Uh, I think we mock the Wanderers quite enough on that show. <laughs> and you'll have all the information you need in the mocking. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then uh, DC came out with two hardcover collections. Really? And you can tell the Batman movie is looming. The greatest Batman stories ever told okay. in hardcover. And the greatest Joker stories ever told in hardcover came out just in time for Christmas. So, uh, yeah, Batmania is about to hit. Yeah, sounds about right. And somebody's going to be sorry that Batman didn't feature more in Invasion. (laughs) Well, he has this one nice panel. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost true. At least he goes to Cuba. Yeah, he goes to Cuba. He goes to Cuba, he fights uh, some kuns. But, you know, in Invasion, I mean, this one scene where his cape is all fluttery and (laughs) he's all brooding and... How do we do this? You know, it's, How do we do this? I'm going back to Gotham. Bye. I don't like this plan. Captain Adam's the boss. I don't like it. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm out. Where's Jason? 
Yeah. Who's uh? He's dead. He just died. Okay. Oh. Uh, yeah. No. It was. It was a rough time for Batman. Yeah. It was. Uh, he was in a bad spot. He was uh, distracted. People reading him decided to kill off his partner. I mean, he, he can't be in a good place. Yeah. I need a movie. I need a movie. Up my cred. So by you know a year later. It would be all Batman all the time. Yeah, and and the animated series came out uh, a yeah, bit a couple of years ago. Yeah, ninety yeah. two. Yeah, yeah, same 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 musical score and yeah, same similar. Yeah. yeah, so so yeah, Batmania was right on the edge of yes, and Batmania has never stopped. Never since. stopped since. Yeah, never stopped since. Never stopped. So, but at this point, it's like we can still not put him in our crossover. We mm-hmm. can still be territorial about him. We can still he still only had a couple series yeah not <laughs> yeah not half of dc's line you you could be oh no batman's not gonna be in this now if batman's not in it yeah nobody really wants to bite no we need batman in it you need some batman he's spice now he's like salt and pepper yeah if you're looking at us for a snapshot of late 1988 dc comics that's it it's <laughs> pre-batman being omnipresent it's incredible but just just before it's it's incredible how that took off and never stopped. I mean, that's unprecedented. I've never seen that in my lifetime. And I mean, my kid loves Batman. Because Batman's the, you know, he's the superhero that connects ninjas and Yeah, and it's a very pure and, concept visually. Yeah. And Batman's who doesn't like Batman? It's even strange that he wasn't more popular all through comic history. Maybe it's a change of tastes. But that Tim Burton movie was the big game changer. I think we've covered everything. Oh, wow. This is the longest episode ever. It's not true. <laughs> it's the longest episode ever. It's not true. Uh, so that's that's a portrait of what was on the stands during Invasion, mm-hmm. at least on the DC side of things. We may yet have a chance to talk about Marvel? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm just... Foreshadowing? Well, you know, people who know what I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. Oh, it's kind of weird. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's, it's a surprise. I, yeah, well, it's going to be a surprise. So that's it. Well, that's it for this, because now we have to do... The mailbag. The mailbag. We'll come back with letters from the front. Letters from the front. Greetings, listeners. I am Dr. G, the man of nerdology. I host the Pulp to Pixel podcasts. I and my rogues gallery of co-hosts explore the media multiverse of geek culture with such shows as Welcome to Astro City and Secret Sagas of the Multiverse. Now I am proud to announce the newest addition to the Pulp to Pixel podcasts, Dial G for Gamer, a superhero gaming podcast. Dial G for Gamer will be a semi-monthly show where I and my co-hosts play and review games with a superhero theme. From tabletop games to video games, we will take on the genre one superhero game at a time. So if you love superheroes and gaming as much as we do, then tune in to Dial G for Gamer. You can find episodes of Dial G for Gamer with the other Pulp to Pixel podcasts through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. You can follow us on Facebook at The Pulped Pixel Podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Pulped Pixel, where I go under the name Dr. G Nerdologist. And you can find episodes directly at our blog, pulptopixel.blogspot.com. Man, you come right out of a comic book. The Pulp to Pixel Podcasts, exploring the media multiverse of geek culture. 
He meddled in things Letters from the front. Letters from the front. We're back. We're talking about your comments about episode uh, 32, which was the Doom Patrol. Yeah. Number 18, and we talked about Doom Patrol at length during that episode. Uh, the last issue of the Paul Kupperberg run, just before it turned Morrison. Uh, A lot of yeah. final stuff in there. Yeah, but not quite. Yeah. It was just like, it's the end of the Doom Patrol. Is it? <laughs> no, you sort of got to read Invasion number three. Okay, well, we will. We so, will. You know, we're game. Uh, let's see, who, who talked about this on the website? Firewaterpodcast.com, where you can leave your messages. Dr. Ange says, uh, thanks for the coverage, as the Doom Patrol has been one of those properties that I have loved for a long time. And I am old enough to remember seeing the house ads for the Showcase 94 issue, which is like the, the Paul Kupperberg original, you know, 70s. And I can remember being blown away by the image and the team logo. But also, there was something about the name, Doom Patrol. That was cool. Not knowing the original DP at all, I loved this crew and followed them somewhat through uh, DC Comics Presents, Superman Family, here and there. When the second volume was announced, I was in. Doom Patrol and Steve Lytle. Easy buy. But the initial arc didn't grab me and I was, well, a different reader. So I didn't continue buying. I did, however, get DP number 19 off the shelf, having noticed the new format and the rumors of a bold new direction. And I was hooked. As you described, Siskoid, that book came out at a perfect time for me. Everything about it, the trippiness, the intelligence, the characterization was like gold. It worked tremendously. Although some later stories just seemed too weird. I dropped the Pollock stuff shortly into her run when it seemed like only echoes of Morrison. I missed the Arcudi run. I knew enough to stay away from John Burns. Uh, but the Giffen run and the current run are delightful. I eventually cobbled together this Kupperberg run from Dollar Boxes and like it mostly for Lodestone and some of the early Larson's art. And now that I am older with a bit more income, I went out and bought the original stuff in archive form and love those too. As for the issue, I applaud Kupperberg for being willing to clear the decks by killing, maiming, or limboing his babies. Kudos for being a good teammate. One last thing, it is definitely Garguax, and he has always seemed like an alien Sydney Greenstreet to me. So I always read his lines with the occasional grunt and harumph Greenstreet put in his lines in the Maltese Falcon. So Garguax. Garguax. I, no, it's still Gargax for me. <laughs> uh, David Ace Gutierrez says, uh, very much like Siskoid's recounting of his Morrison journey. It's similar to mine, as Morrison's Animal Man and Doom Patrol became college must-reads for me. That carried me through The Invisibles, his JLA run, which was mixed, and everything that followed. I fell off the Morrison wagon at some point, don't recall when. But I felt like Morrison's work was a little too in love with itself. I tried Multiversity, his Batman run, and some of his other series, but nothing's clicked for me. Even All-Star Superman didn't sing for me the way it seemed to have for everyone else. No clue. As for Doom Patrol itself, I went back to read the pre-Morrison books recently. Mixed bag, kids. Have you read the Morrison's Doom Patrol yet? Uh, not yet. Not yet, okay. It's on deck. It's right. in queue. It's in the queue, okay. With Cosmic Odyssey. <laughs> with Cosmic Odyssey. I might jump over Cosmic Odyssey to read this one, though. Uh, Chris Franklin says, I think you're comparing the DP to the FF is very valid, but it still brings the team and the original X-Men in close proximity to one another. Really, the original X-Men were basically the FF, with the personality mix jumbled a bit and spread across more characters. Marvel even advertised the team as such, in the grand tradition of the Fantastic Four, just as they tried to make another Spider-Man with Daredevil. Well, yeah, you, you still yeah. have the, the one girl. There's just one girl. There's one big heavy set guy. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, Human Torch is Iceman. Yeah. 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 Paul Hicks says, I wish everyone had the opportunity to enjoy the mostly forgotten John Arcudi 
Tang Eng Wat, Volume 3 of the team. Without any hint of slavishness to the earlier runs, it explored the corporate exploitation of the Doom Patrol brand with humor and flair. Most impressively, it introduced a whole new team to hang with Robot Man and made them all compelling. Well, Paul should know. He's the uh, host or co-host of Waiting for Doom. If you want more on this Doom Patrol, or any Doom Patrol, you check out that podcast. Yeah, you you should. Uh, Max Travers says, This was my first episode of the First Strike podcast. And I liked it. Or starting at the end there, Max. Uh, <laughs> I really liked it. I had checked out the beginning of this volume of the Doom Patrol series, having been intrigued by the group since I discovered them in the new Teen Titans. However, this version didn't grab me, not even with the really nice art by Steve Lytle. Also, thanks for tipping me off to tighten up the defense along with Fantastic Cast, Waiting for Doom, This Network, and more. I'm developing a serious podcast problem. Well, it's not a problem. It's quite enjoyable. It's only a problem if it screws up your life. Yeah, exactly. But you know what? When you're in the car and when you're flying, oh my God, flying podcasts are great. But if you're neglecting your significant other yeah. or your job, yeah. if you lose your job because you're listening to too many podcasts or, you know, maybe making too many podcasts, <laughs> just reevaluate. That's just a fictional example. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah, you may, maybe yeah. you think of it as a problem. If it's just a hobby, if it brings you joy, <laughs> then it's not a problem. Yeah. Uh, Tim Price says, I have mixed feelings about this era of the Doom Patrol. I've never even heard of them before New Teen Titans number 16, so I didn't have a lot of expectations for volume 2, but the concept intrigued me and the art looked good. So I'm in the minority of thinking, this isn't bad. Sure, it's not great, but it's not bad. It even had some surprises, like Eric Larson taking over the art. Uh, Larry Trainer's free of Negative Man doing some really bad things to get his powers back. Very surprising behavior for a superhero character. And still have a soft spot for Lodestone and Hot Hands. But boy, this issue was so unmemorable. A finale for a creative team and changing the status quo should be more emotional. The big hit comes in Invasion number 3 instead, so Kupperberg didn't really even do his own finale. Well, yeah, it yeah. kind of leaves you cold. I mean, that's that's what we felt from it. Yeah, exactly. Facebook likes and shares uh, from Billy Lacasse, Bradley Austin Null, who says, Doom! Okay. Brian Linton, Chris Franklin, Clinton Robinson of Coffee and Comics, Daniel Budnick, David S. Gutierrez, D. Bash, Derek William Crabb, Jack Dower, Jeffrey Brown, Jimmy McGlinchey, John Tipton, Mark Beltron, Max Traver, Robert Myers, Robert Ward, Ruth Sutherland, Ryan Daly, Shag Matthews, Terry O'Malley, uh, on Google Plus, The Hammer Strikes, thank you, Gene Hendricks, on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Alterna Comics fan number one, Ange, Chris, a.k.a. Peapod, Chris Lewis, Coffee and Comics, who says, I think you guys hit on a part of why I never dug that version of the Doom Patrol. It felt like generic superheroes, not freaks. Like they could have been DC's less interesting version of New Mutants. Uh, Comic Reflections, David Collins, Earth to Chris, Fan Holes Podcast, Hicks, Hokoff, The Irredeemable Shag of Firestorm Fan, Jeffrey Brown, Justice's First Dawn, Justice Trek the Podcast, Kiji Baker, who wanted to drop us a note because uh, uh, Invasion is top of the pile for him. Oh, nice. Uh, and has been since in the inception. And he tries to like every post and share across all social media regularly. And he doesn't care if he's not mentioned on the show. Uh, that's not why he listens. However, somehow he fell through the cracks for possibly a number of episodes because I haven't mentioned him. I, I don't know what happened. You know, sometimes you do it late and then I don't update my yeah. sheet and then it's all my fault. Mea culpa, Keith, thank you for being such a big fan of the show. Uh, I did not block you. 
Okay. Uh, Kristen <laughs> Clark, Cristados, Long Boss Crusade, Matches Balone, Max Romero, Vitz Plastic Man, Nuno Duarte, Ollie Queen, Rad Adventures, Rob Deb, Rob Kelly Creative of Film and Water Podcast, etc. Rollspine Podcast, Ryan Daly, Scott X, Sean AZ, Stephen Wise, The 108th Sage, Tim Drake Podcast, Tim Price, Trekker Talk, Waiting for Doom, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Willie Yarbrough, Zoom Yukonori, and Zach. Zach. With two Ks. Oh, my. So thank you for uh, sharing, tweeting, whatevers. Thank you very much, and uh, keep listening. And uh, soon, I, I, we're almost there, right? We're almost at uh, Invasion number three. Almost. Like, seconds away. <gasps> well, you know, <laughs> as the podcast flies. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, uh, yeah, you want to leave uh, comments on this episode? What you thought of Animal Man number seven or DC's line in the late 80s? Uh, go ahead, do it at fireandwaterpodcast.com. That's a great place to have a discussion. The Fire and Water Podcast uh, Facebook page is also available to you and on Twitter. The hashtag, if you want us to find you more easily, is FW Podcasts. Thank you very much. Next time on First Strike the Invasion Podcast, Invasion number three!